Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Selective Hearing. Today, I am here with special guest Suzanne Jabor. Me and Suzanne are going to have a discussion today about grief and how we handle grief, how we approach grief, and how we support or think that we're supporting people who are going through different um, grief processes. So before I get started, Suzanne, please introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit about you. Thank you. Thank you so much, first of all, for opening this conversation about grief. It's so important. And I'm always so grateful to hosts like you that will bring this topic to their audience. And maybe we can open up this the discussion just a little bit would make a huge difference. I'm Suzanne. I'm from Vancouver, Canada, and I'm a grief educator. I came to that after the death of my son, Ben, in September of 2020. He was 22. And I knew there was something about that loss that was bringing grief in a way I hadn't experienced it before. So I knew very quickly that I was going to have to learn everything I could. I was going to have to do, you know, grief is kind of a verb in a weird way as well. Like I was going to have to do grief a different way than I had before. And I knew very early on that I needed to be conscious and curious. And what that meant for me was I had to stay conscious of everything I was experiencing, all the emotions, all the thoughts, all the despair, all the everything. And the curiosity was about, you know, in the very beginning, it's about trying to make sense of the nonsensical, right? You're trying to make sense of something that makes no sense in your world. You're, you know, I, I say in those early days when you're lying sobbing in a ball on the couch, like the curiosity is about how on earth am I going to gasp a breath, right? Like how, how do I feel all of this and let it be and breathe at the same time, right? And then the curiosity really became about how other people experienced grief and why we didn't talk about it. I couldn't understand why my talking about it made people so uncomfortable. And yet I heard from people over and over and over again, how much they were learning because I was talking about it. So, you know, that overbalanced for me, the people who felt uncomfortable, that's, you know, that's something we need to deal with, but I wasn't going to stop my grief process because other people were uncomfortable. I knew that very early. I wasn't, I remember saying to my daughter, like in this time, I can take care of myself. I can and help take care of you. She's an adult. She was 25 when Ben died. You know, I can take care of me and I can help take care of you. And everybody else is on their own. Like I have no bandwidth for worrying about what's going on for anybody else. But over time, as I had more capacity, I just became so curious about why it's a given that grief will change your address book. And that's just a given. Like it's an accepted thing that the people who were your friends when your loss happened will likely not be your friends a couple of years later. And that seemed so sad to me. And as a griever, I felt such disappointment and such sadness that the people who I had thought were like my people that would support me no matter what, either didn't have the capacity or felt too much fear. Most of it's fear. You know, I, I find when I'm speaking to people who are trying to support a griever or when I do a survey, the thing that holds us back is fear. We don't want to cause pain. We don't want to make it worse. We don't know what to say or what to do. So we end up doing nothing and we get all tangled in fear. And then now everybody's isolated. I feel isolated as the griever because people People aren't showing up for me. My friends at the time of my loss are feeling isolated from me because they don't know how to show up and they're scared. And then time passes and they still haven't said anything. And then it's even more awkward and uncomfortable. And the relationships start to frazzle and, and come apart. And I just, I just don't think it needs to be that way. So that's kind of become my mission is to open up these conversations and talk about, you know, first of all, how does grief really work? Because if we talked about grief the same way we talk about, you know, teaching our kids anything or stuff we do at the office, 
this, or, you know, we talk about how we do so many things and we teach each other how to do things by telling our own stories and by sharing our experiences, but we don't do that with grief. So then when it happens to you, you feel like there's something wrong with you because nobody told you all these things were coming. So that's part of it. And then the other part is, you know, if you're trying to support someone, how do you get out of your own way? Because most of us are just, we're only in our own way, right? Because we feel that fear and that worry that we don't want to do the wrong thing. So we're just in our own way. So how do you get out of your own way? And then what are some really helpful things you can show up and do? What are some really helpful things you could say? You know, what are some ways you can show up for the griever that do no harm? Because that's always, you know, that's our first spot. We get stuck, right? And we don't want to make it worse. So ways you can show up that will do no harm, that will be supportive and, and help build that connection. Because the other thing I found was the people who I knew when Ben died, who showed up for me, who were really there and were absolutely upfront with saying, I have no idea how to support you. I don't know what to say. And I'm here anyway. And let's figure this out together. Those are the people that I will be close to for the rest of my life because they showed up in that darkest, darkest time and have stuck with it. Because the other thing we don't talk about enough is how long grief takes, because it's much longer than we think. So people are pretty good at showing up kind of until the funeral, celebration of life, memorial, whatever your tradition is, until the event, the ritual event. And then people kind of scatter back to their lives and you're left as the griever in a life that is still blown to pieces, watching everybody move on without you. And, and we need to shift that. I recently listened to um, a podcast and there was a young lady on the podcast talking about she had the experience that she was going through. She was a celebrity and she lost her um, fiance. And she was talking about um, the feeling of being in a tunnel. She was saying that there was like a very faint light ahead, but it just seemed so long to get there. And she was like, she was just surrounded by darkness and she was all alone. And she was like, you can't go side to side. You know, you can't go back because there's nothing there. So you have to just keep going through the tunnel until you finally reach that tiny piece of light and figure out what that means and what that is. And I was like, I never thought of it that way. Like that was like an interesting way to kind of describe the experience, especially since like we've all kind of been preconditioned in our discomfort to handle grief a certain way. With the best intentions, we often say the wrong things. <laughs> like, yeah, like you said, we we kind of go back to our lives and don't think about the person that is still going through that. And we don't even think about how long it's going to take for them to go through it if they ever come out of it until it happens to us. Yeah. And so for you, like, how would you define grief and what are some of the common misconceptions? So for me, grief is this overwhelming tsunami of things. <laughs> that happens when you lose a loved one. And I wanna be really clear too, the other place we don't talk about grief is with all the other losses in our life. So we sort of talk about it when we're talking about the loss of a loved one. We even less talk about it when it's a pet, right? Because we can kind of understand that's something that people need to grieve. But we don't talk about it when you lose a relationship or a job or a business closes, or, you know, if you think about all the things we lost besides people and so many people have lost people in the last three years and some people, multiple people, 
with that, there's also all the losses of our sense of how the world works, our ability to go to concerts and gather and, you know, go on vacation. We've lost so many things in the last three years that we haven't really grieved. And so, yes, it's easiest to frame it when we talk about people because we kind of have a wedge in there because we kind of get it. If it hasn't happened to us yet at a close level, we still can kind of get it, but not really. <laughs> But it also applies to all of those other losses. So the reason that's important is twofold. First of all, because we need to grieve all of those other losses, the big ones and the small ones. And because those smaller losses are a great place for us to practice, right? If we're going to create a new way that we show up for somebody, we probably don't want to practice it on someone like me whose child just died. That's a scary place to practice a new skill, right? But what if you practice it with your friend who, I can't think of a loss that, you know, lost a, a job, like we're applying for a job and didn't get it. That's a loss, right? Because you've started to make a story about what that might mean and where your future might go if you get this thing and then it's taken away. So what if you practice showing up for that so that by the time a big loss happens, you have some skills that you can pull on and you don't feel quite so terrified. That's a big long intro to my answer to your question, which I promise I'll get to. <laughs> so grief for me is this overwhelming set of emotions, physical experiences, um, psychological, like literal brain dysfunction, because your brain has to do a whole bunch of rewiring, which is part of why early grief is really exhausting because your body is working really hard to hold it together. And it's a thing that happens to all of us. To me, it's the biggest thing that happens to all of us that we're not talking about. So we don't talk about some of the really typical things that happen like brain fog, sleep disturbance, like physical symptoms, symptoms of pain, of tingling in your extremities. Not something I had, but I hear about it all the time from people when I ask. Senses of anxiety, like people who never felt anxiety before that now just feel unsettled all the time. So your body is kind of energetically vibrating at this different frequency that you don't know how to manage for lack of a better word. It's a thing that isolates us that could connect us. And it's a thing that I really think if we would talk about it and if we would share what happens in it would also help us find connection. As I think so many of us right now are feeling isolated. We're feeling like our world is fragmented. We're feeling some version of us and them in many spheres, right? Politically, uh, among so along social justice issues, around, you know, there's just so much happening with, with rights, you know, with people's rights. And, and we are really entrenched in that kind of us and them mentality and, and kind of mindset. And I think if we could see each other through the lens of grief and our grief experiences, it's also a place we can build connection that I think we're missing out on. And I know it's challenging language for people to talk about sort of opportunities out of grief or, you know, benefits of grief, because that's such a twisted kind of idea. But there is this concept of post-traumatic growth. And for many grievers, you know, their grief experience as they get further away from the time it happened, as they've done more work and as they've learned more about themselves and other people and how the world works, you know, they do come out of it a different person. And I don't say that to, you know, to kind of support that old cliche of, you know, like, it'll make you stronger. I didn't need to be any stronger. I didn't need this to happen to me, right? None of us need grief to happen to us. And there are choices we need to make about what we're gonna do next. And I love that analogy of the tunnel. That's brilliant. Like you're in this tunnel, you can't, there's no, you can't turn a different way. You just have to walk this tunnel by yourself until you can get to that candle. Like it's almost that small of a light. Like it's not a bag lantern. It's like, it's nothing. It's like a little candle of light at the end. 
And I think that we can work together to disrupt that so it doesn't feel so alone. It's still a path you have to walk yourself. Nobody can do it for you. You have to do your own grief path, but you can do it with people beside you and people walking with you. I agree so much. This is why I love the fact that this idea for this show came <laughs> to me yeah. and I was able to like develop it and create this platform because I feel like like I spent so much of my life wanting to talk about so many different things like that feeling of this isn't right. Why can't we talk about it? Literally, yeah. don't discuss that. Literally, a child is to be seen, not to be heard. This, that, like there's so many like you like bloop, 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 like the bubbles everywhere. And yep. it's like, once like it came to me, like, I'm just gonna talk about it. And I don't care how anybody feels because like, I know that I'm not the only one that yeah. like thinks about things and feels things. And it's like, well, why don't we talk about it? How do we make it better if we don't talk about it? So even like talking about something like this, like it's out when you reached out, I was like, yeah. It's, it's, and it's crazy because out of all the people that I got, only two people, you and one other um, lady came to me with this, like, this has to be talked about. And I I was like, it does. Like, and even the direction, like how how wide the subject is, the direction that both of our conversations are going in, completely different, but both very impactful and necessary at the same time. Oh my gosh, like I'm just gonna hit you with the thank you right now. Cause <laughs> you're welcome. Thank you. And and what's so interesting to me is, you know, I love the concept of your podcast. Like, what is it we're not talking about? How do we need to listen to each other? Like, what is it that we need to hear that we're not hearing because we're not talking about it, right? And, you know, I just, I, I always invite people to imagine, like, what could this conversation be like around the dinner table, you know, with your family, around the table with a group of friends? Like, we are all feeling so much grief right now that we're not talking about that it's a perfect time to start these conversations. The other thing that's holding us back right now is this weird sense that we've been, you know, raised to that there are some things worth grieving and some things not. So when we know so many people have lost loved ones, it's really hard to complain about how you missed your vacation because somehow on that street, like on that system of hierarchy, we rank that below. And in a way that totally makes sense. And in another way, it forces the person who has what's considered a lesser grief to not talk about it. And that happens to me all the time. I'll have people, you know, people that I know are grieving something. It's not the loss of a child. It's a pet or a parent or a job or a whatever. It's something else. And they will say, oh, well, I don't want to burden you with it because your grief is so much more than mine. I'm like, well, no, it's not a contest. Like all grief is grief. <laughs> it all needs to be felt and acknowledged and dealt with. You know, you can't, we're all stuffing it in our backpack. Man, those backpacks are getting heavy. Like we, they're all gonna explode. And I think we're seeing them explode now, right? We're all lashing out at each other in ways that make no logical sense. So it's something else is activating us other than what's in front of us. But if you could sit around the table with a really close group of friends where you have that sense of safety and say like, hey, I wanna have this really awkward conversation. Like, can we be awkward together and talk about this so that we can learn from each other? Like, what if we made a list of all the things that aren't you know, things we feel like we should have grieved that happened to us in the last three years. You know, we lost a job, we lost a graduation, we lost concert tickets, we lost our ability to go to the museum, we lost sporting events, we lost our kids' graduation. I was talking to a woman the other day when we talked about this, she said, oh, now I understand why I'm so mad. And I said, why, what happened? And it, her youngest child graduated from high school during COVID, so didn't get to have a graduation. And for her, 
she sees him being upset, but she hadn't acknowledged how upset she really was because that was her last shot at getting it right. And she was like, we were going to do it up. Like we were going to do the whole thing big. And she didn't get to do that. So what if you could sit and talk about those things and just share how that felt and how you were disappointed? It's okay to be disappointed. We should be, right? So what if we talked about that together? Wow, I was really disappointed. And then I was angry for me. My anger comes out in traffic. And I'm, <laughs> I'll be driving the car. I'm like, oh my gosh, you are such an idiot. I'm like, oh, I need to do a little bit of more meditating, maybe some more square breathing. Like, Pull out some tools here because this is like not appropriate. But if we were talking about that, right? And that's our chance to practice. Let's practice showing up. Let's practice listening. Let's practice not trying to fix it. This is all things we can't fix, which is the other reason we're uncomfortable. We are all A plus students at bring me your problem. Let's make a plan. Let's execute the plan, fix the problem. We're great at that. I can't fix that and it's messy and I feel uncomfortable. Ah, that's hard. Yeah, really hard. And we, yeah, we'll run to that little safety that we have really quick, like that, that line of comfort. We'll yeah. get there as quickly as possible when in situations like that. I literally, like, I actually stopped going to funerals mm. um, after, like, I lost my grandmother to COVID. And, like, up until the time, like, that happened, like, it was just, we experienced, like, loss after loss. And there was just a lot going on. So, at her funeral, I kind of was like, yeah, I can't ever do this again. And, like, I even told my husband, like, don't have a funeral. If anything happens to me, don't have a funeral. Like, donate me, cremate me, like just live in the memory of me and enjoy that because I was like the just the level of discomfort that was present and then the way that you had to do things because of restrictions and guidelines and like how you could not process anything you could not talk about anything like it was just like a big ball of and I was like yeah like I walked away from that and I was like for now on the memories that I have are the memories that I want to like forever have that impression mm. in my mind. And I was like, I don't want to like the service and all the stuff that goes on with that. It's like extremely traumatizing. Like, I don't want any of that to be in my memory bank. I want to mm. just hold on to what was there and what was so beautiful when we had the opportunities to be together. And I have not, like, I've lost a lot of people, but I will not. I'm like, send my love, you know, I, I show up in the capacity that I know I can, so it's like impactful and genuine and, and you know, like what you need. But I'll, if I can't, I don't even, I feel like that's another thing. If you can't, that's okay as well. And I don't think people acknowledge that because they feel like it's mandatory yeah. for you to show up or it's like, you feel like you don't care. And it's like, it's okay to say, hey, I want to be there for you, but I just can't right now. And it's yeah. better for me to step away than to create more chaos in your life. So I'm going to give you my love and my prayers and I'm going to step to the side and let someone else that is capable of being there for you do that. And I think that that will actually build relationships and help reshape and shape friendships too. When we just like sit in that honesty, a lot of us are very uncomfortable with the idea of what we can and cannot do and expressing that to someone else because there's this imaginary you have to be strong all the time thing that's placed on us and it's like no feel what you're feeling and be honest about it and move on and it's okay and people appreciate it more too like and that's just my tidbit i think so
Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I'm so sorry that that happened to your grandmother and to you and to so many other people in your circle. You know, I, I think the other thing that's happening is for people like you who've lost multiple people, especially in this time of COVID, or, you know, there's other times that it happens, but this is the one that's present for us right now. The grief gets all tangled too, right? And you can only grieve one loss at a time. So when you're trying to grieve all these people at the same time, like no wonder by the time you got to your grandmother, you were like, no, like I am at capacity. I cannot do this ritual that's full of family drama and arguments and like the path to a funeral and a, and a service is not always a pretty one. Mm. And so you're right, you're layering that on top of your memory of the person. And I just think that's really brave and honest of you to say, you know what, this is not serving me. And I understand that in a way, in a small way, my presence might help you. But here's a different way that I could help you, right? I, I'm not gonna be at the funeral and I love your honesty. I just can't do that right now. It's, I, I would not be of use to you. So I'm gonna not do that and just know I'll be thinking of you that day and at that time. And the next week, could I come over for a coffee? Could I take you out for a coffee? Could we get together? Whatever it is. There's lots of ways to support someone other than showing up at the service. And for a lot of us, you're right, in our scurry back as quickly as we can to comfort, the one thing we do is show up at the service. Well, you know what? There's tons of people there. It doesn't matter. You know, I had this conversation with a colleague not that long ago. He um, is really close to a cousin who lives in Europe. And unfortunately, the cousin's wife died of cancer and he was so tangled up in wanting to be there for the service, but it was gonna be super expensive to get there and he couldn't stay very long and his wife couldn't also come and it was just really complicated. And, and he said, well, what do you think? Like, do I go for the service and not be able to stay or do I go two weeks later and be able to be there for three weeks? And I said, there is no question in my mind, you go two weeks later and you're there for three weeks because your cousin will have lots of support up to the service. Two weeks later, most people will have disappeared back to their lives. And that's an amazing time for you to show up and have time with them and the family and like, yes, skip the service, go two weeks later because that's when people need ongoing support for months and years. Like this is not a short-term experience. And so depending on your relationship with the person, you might be supporting them for years. Yeah, very true. There, I have someone that I'm actually, she's my best friend in the whole wide world. And she's just now, little things like, you know, a blanket or, you know, an item, okay with moving it mm. or tucking it away now. I've just been there with her the whole ride, supporting her through the whole thing. And that was like, it, everything happened in 2000, the end of 2019. So mm. it's kind of like seeing that even with someone that I'm very close to is like, yeah, you know, like I... I get it. I may not know what you're going through and what you're feeling, but I get it. And I'm here. And I tell her all the time, like, especially in the beginning, like, if you want to call and just scream, do it. Yep. If you want to call and you want to cuss me out, do it. Like, if you just want to cry or if you want me to sit on the phone and crack jokes or if you just need me to come to wherever you are and be quiet, tell me. I don't try to give, like, the cliche, it's going to be all right or they're in a better place or none of that. Like, I, it's just, what do you need? If you need me to, like, not a physical punching bag, but, you know, some sort of, like, do it. I can hold the pillow, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> do it. I'm here. And that's kind of how we rocked out, you know, this entire time until, like, I just saw, like, that. And I didn't say anything to her or anything. I just let her know I heard her and I was there. But even when she told me, like, yeah, I think I'm ready to tuck this away for now. Yeah. I was like, okay. And I was like, and, you know? You want to talk about anything else today? She was like, no. Well, I was like, okay, cool. Left it alone. Because I yeah. don't know why we are like so 
I can't even find the words to explain this. Like programmed to have to say something or yes. need to say something. Like why we feel like that's necessary. I don't know why, but I do know now that I'm becoming more aware of things that that's not necessarily the best thing to do. No, really. I mean, what you're describing to me sounds like perfect friend showing up for a griever, right? I'm here for whatever you need. No judgment, right? No fixing, nothing's broken. There's, you know, you can't get out any glue. There's nothing to fix. No fixing, no advice, right? That's really hard for a lot of us. Like we want to jump in and share some advice, give a tip, whatever it is. Nobody wants that. We just want to be seen and heard. That's what grievers need. Just show up, as you say, I will sit with you while you're crying. I will sit with you while you're screaming. I will sit with you while you're laughing. I will sit with you while we're silent. I will sit with you. That's all. I will be there, right? That's brilliant. Brilliant. And to have to have the awareness and the ability to watch her doing what's right for her and even watch her as she's now finally ready to put something away and not have to have a big song and dance about that, right? Just be able to say, oh, okay, just accept it. Just accept it. It's hers to decide. And the fact that you, you know, held that space for her, for her to make those decisions in her own time. As you say, it's like now three years, right? Basically two and a half, well, no, three years. And she's just starting to do some things that people would have thought she should have done, right? In the first weeks and months. But that's not the reality. Most of us don't, well, it's funny. There's kind of two, two extremes almost. There's people who want to deal with the stuff immediately and they pack it up and they donate it or whatever they do and they're just done. That's works for them. That's healthy for them. And then there's people where it takes much longer. Like I envision my life going on however long it goes, you know, hopefully many more years. I will still have Ben stuff around me because why wouldn't I like it? And it also weirdly becomes your stuff too, because it's your connection with that person or it's something that you were there when they bought it or you remember them getting it or whatever. Like it's all entangled in memories too. And so what, like, why would I get rid of all that? It doesn't make any sense to me. That's me. Right. And pro and sounds like your friend, right? You just slowly let things go slowly. It's like, okay, I don't need to keep that. And there's certainly things now. I kind of think about it as layers, like there's layers of it that I can let go of, but there was no way in the early days, I wasn't ready to let go of anything. We closed the door to his room. We didn't go into it for almost a year. Didn't move a thing. Just closed it. Like, nope, can't do that. And that worked for us. It doesn't work for everyone, but the trick is to figure out how to just let whatever the griever needs be okay. Cause you're there to serve them, not to fix them, not to tell them how to do it, nothing. If they ask, you know, what did you do about X, Y, or Z? Cause they think you had a similar experience. That's different Then for sure you can answer their question. But unsolicited advice is not necessarily, um, it's not even not necessarily. Unsolicited advice is not wanted. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's called unsolicited. Unsolicited, yeah. Oh gosh, that is the best soundbite ever. Definitely make it a real out of that because oh goodness. Yeah, people, I hope you listen to that one. I'm gonna I'm gonna play it back in a reel too. So you'll hear it over and over again, especially if you follow me on social media, because that is a word <laughs> for sure. Cause and that can apply to all things in life. Like, yes, hundred percent. Yeah. Oh gosh. I find that unsolicited advice button being pressed on me as a parent all the time. And I'm like, I'm like, leave it alone. These aren't your kids. No. <laughs> Just leave it alone. I didn't ask you. <laughs> yeah, this is not your moment. I love Brene Brown talks about um, people giving advice and she's like, or, you know, online comment, commenters, right? And all that kind of stuff. And her line, which I love so much is like, if you are not in the arena with me, I have no time for what you think. Like if you are not actually fighting this battle also, 
I, I, I have nothing. I have nothing for you. <laughs> like, and I love that because it's like, no, if you just want, if you just want to natter about it, talk to the hand, as my kids would have said back in the day, right? <laughs> like, I, I had nothing. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I am loving this conversation, by the way. Just absolutely loving it. So, <laughs> like, how do you, um, in your practices, help people kind of work through their grief and find like that path forward? Yeah. So when I'm working with a griever, I do that work one-on-one -on -one, and it's really to support them to find their way, right? I'm kind of, I mean, I'm a coach, so I'm not here to tell you how to do it, right? I'm here to hold that space for you, which you maybe find people in your life aren't able to do for you to just explore, right? It's that conscious and curious aspect of it that to me is so helpful because if you're supported to experience it all, so you're not feeling like you have to stuff it or you have to um, have that sort of second face that you put on when you go out because people can't really handle your real face. So it's a space for you to just be really real and honest about what's happening, to allow it to all be felt. You know, grief needs to be done. It's like an action word in a weird way. So it's the allowing of it all. And then we all have skill gaps, right? So it's that it's filling, helping fill in those skill gaps around how you talk to yourself, right? How you relate to yourself. That's the place to start. I knew I was going to have to be really good at taking care of me. And that was a growth edge for me, right? I'd spent my entire life taking care of other people. So this was another chance for me to be like, okay, I need to take care of myself first, you know, and then my daughter, everyone else is on your own. Everyone else is adults. You don't need me. You can all go adult. <laughs> you don't need me to parent you, right? I'm going to take care of myself. So for a lot of grievers, that's really hard, right? How do I take care of myself when I can barely get through the day? And I really struggled with, you know, reading people's, you know, Instagram posts or whatever from grief experts and other grief educators who would say things like, you know, you need to be moving your body and you should be elevating your self-care and make sure you medicate and blah, 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 or meditate and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, holy man, like I can get out of bed and make it to the couch. And then at the end of the day, I get off the couch and I go back to bed. That's me taking care of myself today, right? So it's that sense of like, what phase are you at? You know, where are you? What's your capacity? And honoring that capacity and within that space, finding what helps you nourish yourself because you do need to take care of yourself. It's a grueling journey. It's a grueling experience because it's really physically, physiologically hard. It's emotionally hard. It's psychologically hard. It's just all hard. And then as people get capacity, and are starting to try and figure out how to put their life back together, then there's more space to talk about, okay, well, how do you carry on with your person, right? For me, the goal is integration. I wanna integrate this loss. I don't wanna leave Ben behind. I'm not getting through it. I'm not moving on. I'm not doing any of those old cliche kind of things because that doesn't resonate for me. All of those imply that you're getting through something to someplace new. Well, no, I'm gonna be a grieving mom for the rest of my life. So how do I do that and live a big, rich life that has meaning and honors Ben and my daughter and, you know, connects me with friends and family. So it's about finding that path for each person and it's unique for everyone. But there are ways to kind of, you know, there's all kinds of exercises and, you know, mindset shifts and just places to hold curiosity and and have and sort of live in living inquiry, right? Where you're in this place of potential growth and accepting that, you know, with this catastrophic loss, there's still a life to be lived and it's yours. And so how are you going to live that life? in the best way that you can. And for everyone that's different, like everyone goes through it at their own pace, you know, hits sort of different markers at their own pace. And I, you know, I personally love the, the concept of the six 
stages of grief, if you read them properly, they're all about you will likely experience these five things at some point in some combination. It's never been intended to be linear. And then now the sixth stage is finding meaning. So now that you've kind of dealt with the anger and the disbelief and the you know, dissociation and all of that, like, how do you find meaning in your life? How do you build a meaningful life that, that honors that loss, right? So my daughter and I have developed some rituals that we use, which I'm always happy to share with people and just help people develop their own. You know, one of the things we do is, is we've chosen over time to go back to places, like go on vacation to places that were really important to us with them. And I know for a lot of people, their best choice is to never go back to those places. You know, a lot of people will like not go to the person's favorite restaurant or not go to a place they love together. But for us, we didn't want that to be the case. So we kind of imagined this way of, we call it revisit and reclaim. So we go there intentionally to revisit and feel the memories and find our person there, right? For us, we're connecting with Ben in these places that we've been together. And then how do we reclaim it? How do we decide what of those things we love to do, we continue to do? Do we always, when we're there, do something that ritualizes Ben and remembers him? Do we do something particular? Do we go and do none of the things we did with him and only do new things or some combination of that? But for me, it's a lot about intentionality. So I really help people to try and find, to try and create their path consciously, to not just kind of bumble through. Like even if the path is that tunnel from those early days, for sure, I love that analogy so much. I use water analogies a lot. For me, it was a tsunami. So I was just like spinning underwater water in every orifice. You know, if you've ever been pulled out and dragged underwater you, for a brief second, you have a sense of it. So that's the early days for me, it was like that. And then I realized I was actually a cork. So I wasn't like a piece of wood that couldn't ever get to the surface. I was a cork, right? So this was great news. This was a big discovery, big turning point, right? Mm. Every once in a while, I'm buoyant enough, I will pop to the surface of this water and I'll be able to gasp a breath and hold on till the next time I bob to the surface, right? And then you spend more and more time on the surface. So if you kind of think about the tunnel, you're getting closer and closer to the light, right? The light is a little bit brighter. It's a little bit bigger. You spend more of your time contemplating lightness as opposed to just the darkness. That feels overwhelming at first. So then you kind of end up in a rowboat. I don't know about you. I am terrible at rowing. Never could row a rowboat to save my life. So you're in a rowboat, probably going around in circles. At first I didn't even have oars. I realized I'm like, oh, I think I'm in a boat. It's a rowboat. Okay, I don't even think I have oars. Like I have no control of it at all, but at least I'm above the water most of the time. You know, waves still come and then I have to like bail out the boat. But most of the time I'm above water. And then you get to have a proper boat that you can actually steer. So then where do you take it? Where does it take you next? And how do you move forward with, with, like for me, that's the key. We don't want to leave anybody behind. Why would you? You don't want to carry on never thinking of your grandma. That's ridiculous. Like when you think about it that way, that's ridiculous. For us to think that you would ever leave her behind is ridiculous because you will share stories of her with your kids. They will learn about their great grandma, right? You'll have pictures, you have memories, like she will live with you even though she's not physically here. So how do we do that on purpose so that that can be an important part of our life and not necessarily a secret part of our life? Because I think because we don't talk about it and we don't acknowledge that this is really a healthy way, for a lot of people, it's a secret. Like they're doing things in secret to remember their person. Well, no, I want to remember Ben out loud and I want other people to remember him too. I love when people come up to me and say, oh my gosh, I saw this person the other day. A friend did it to me just the other day. She was like, I was at the mall and I saw this guy and he was, Ben loved fashion. 
and this was another person who clearly loved fashion was had made a commitment to what he was wearing didn't sound like something that <laughs> ever have worn but they had made a fashion commitment which was good enough and she was saying like i saw this guy walking confidently in the mall like just swagging out you know swaggering in his fashion choice and it made her think of Ben. And for me, that was a gift. Like I think about him all the time. So to know that he also had an impact on other people, that's amazing. I love that. So how do we carry on with our person? How do we bring them with us in a way that doesn't debilitate us, that doesn't feel heavy the way it does in the beginning when everything is overwhelming and heavy and you're like living your life through molasses, right? But how, as time goes by, do we, do we feel more love than pain? More love than pain. You know, what's very interesting about the situation with my grandma is, uh, so my grandma and my dad, I, I, I gotta bring up my, I bring my parents up a lot on the show, obviously, but <laughs> my grandma and my dad were like this and they talked on the phone like six, seven, eight, nine times a day. They talked so much that if he didn't answer the phone, she would call you and ask, have you, hey, Julie, have you seen your dad? Have you talked to your dad? And I'm like, hey, <laughs> like, I you, talk, you just pass the phone to him. Yeah, you talk to him more than I do. But no, um, yeah, they, they talked so much and it was just, they had like this very, very strong relationship. So watching him go through this was like surreal because I didn't see him cry. I did not see, like, and this happened in 2020. So like, I didn't see him cry. I didn't, he talked about her, but like he kind of, um, you know, was very quick. And I allowed him that, you know, that space, but it was just kind of like, I was always wondering like, is he okay? Because if you ask, he'll say, yeah, he's just going to say, yeah, yeah. if you tell him you need yeah. something, he's just, you know, yeah. And he's going to keep it going. And recently, maybe a couple months ago, he called me and was like, I don't know what happened, like what brought her up and what like made him finally break down the wall and crumble. But he did. And he called me and he was like, I'm not okay. I miss my mom. And he just started talking and I just sat there. And at the end, I was like, you know, I really miss her too. And I was like, we're always going to do that. And he he started crying, so he hung up. <laughs> like, okay, I gotta go, bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so, so cute. I just sent him a text afterwards, you know, to let him, I knew what it was about. So I was like, hey, I love you. And thank you for trusting me with that. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. And and like I my dad tells me now, like he's learning from me. And I'm like, um, yeah, dad, like some therapy, some coaching. I've been through a lot of things to get, you know, to start coming down and coming into this, you know, space. But like I I share these things with him. I tell him. And if he doesn't understand, like just applying that and practicing that so he can like oh that's what that is because sometimes he's like what are you talking about so that's what that is what she just did that's what you mean like hold space for me that's what you mean and yeah. Then, yeah, so it was like it was like a good moment like and I was actually very proud of him because I felt like he needed a release like he was just holding on to so much and I just was like but I didn't want to tell him like you need to let it out like people do like yeah. I just Wanted him to know that whenever it came, if it was one year, two year, five years, 10 years down the line, you can do it with me, you know, and you'll be okay doing it with me. And he was. And I, I really like, I enjoyed that moment with us. And like her favorite, one of her favorite songs was My Last Two Dollars. 
<laughs> oh, she loved the blues. So after that, I played Johnny Taylor like five times in a row after that. Like, yeah, grandma, I did it. I got him. I got his back. You know, like my little moment. Yeah. It's like, it was, yeah, that was like a really like super cool thing. And I like the fact that we had that opportunity. Yeah. And so now you can see, right, you've lived firsthand, like how that closeness happens. When you become the person that someone can go to and let and be honest and break into pieces, right? Now you have a new connection with your dad. And it's not one you ever wanted to have. Like, you know, you would give that connection up in a heartbeat to have your grandma back. And I, I say that all the time about Ben. I didn't want all of this. I didn't want to all have all this knowledge, but I have it. And that's the reality. And so what do I do with it now so that this awful thing that happened isn't for nothing, right? And I think also what it is, is a testament to you and the way you showed up for your friend. Because your dad has seen how you showed up for her. Yeah. Right? And and you have said to him, you know, everyone else is saying to him, oh, you know, either they're saying, oh, you're so great, you're so strong, right? Which is encouraging him to continue to have to stuff it because now what the heck do you do when you're being the strong one, right? Or people have said, you haven't cried enough, like, you know, whichever way, you're never doing it right. You're either grieving too much or too little. It's never right. People should just shush, shush their mouths. Anyway, so all you said was, when you need to talk about it, dad, I'm here. And then he was able to, which is beautiful. And I love that you got to have that moment with him. And now what that does is it's now opened up that space for you to have an ongoing conversation with him about her and be able to share with him when you think of her or, you know, whatever happens and, and have her, you know, when my dad died, my daughter was four. And so it was hard to explain to her. It was hard for her to understand what had happened to grandpa because she was really close with my dad because she, my parents had helped with childcare when I went back to work. So she was really close with my dad and we had candles. So the Christmas after he died in September, the Christmas after he died, we went to this memorial candle lighting tree thing uh, that our, our community had. And we all kept the candles that we had that day. And for years afterwards, like years afterwards, we would light the, that candle. So at his birthday and her birthday were two days apart. So they always celebrated them together. So when we had her birthday, we would light a candle for grandpa. When it was Easter, we would light the candle for grandpa. Like anytime the family was all together, we would light this candle for grandpa. And eventually, of course, the candles we had had at that event burnt out and my mom bought specific candles that were the same kind of kind you know those choir, the candles the choir has at christmas time they're those kind yeah of candles. well they're really skinny ones and she had a variety of different candle holders for different seasonal events that would fit these candles and we always lit one off the last one so it was like this continuation thing we did that for years and it was so beautiful because every time we did it it gave us an excuse to talk about grandpa so we got to keep his memory alive for all of us and we got to feel like he was there so those kind of rituals can be really helpful and if they don't serve you don't do them like i you know none of the none of anything is prescriptive it's just ideas and that's the thing if we sat around the dinner table sharing our ideas about how we had memorialized our loved ones or how we carried them with us then we would have so many ways to do it instead of each of us kind of in a vacuum trying to figure out what we could do, right? We would have, oh, Martha did this and Sally did that and Johnny did this other thing. Those two don't really work for me, but I love this idea. Let's build on that, right? But we don't talk about it. So then we're all trying to make it up ourselves, which just seems so silly. Like my sister drinking a Coors Light. That's so funny. It was my grandma's favorite beer. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> She'll send me a picture like, 
And I like just as a chorus like kid, I'm like, I know what you're talking about, girl. Like, yeah, like, yeah, exact same thing. And Ben loved cocktails and he created one during COVID, which we since have dubbed the Ben. So it'll be like, oh, I think we need to drink a Ben tonight. So we'll make the special cocktail and you know, feel fancy because he loved being fancy. So we'll, you know, pull out fancy glasses and shake it in the fancy shaker and yeah. And it doesn't have to be you don't have to make a big production number out of it. But there are really simple, lovely ways that you can move forward with your person. This conversation has, like, I end up having these conversations where it's like, gosh, I want two hours. Like, what? <laughs> well, um, we can bring you in a couple months from now and we'll do part yeah, two. Yeah, well, yes, I'm going to have to definitely bring you back for part two because this was a very amazing conversation. And I'm sure everyone who is listening will feel the same way, especially, um, and hopefully it opens up that door for you if you are experiencing grief to try to, um, well, hopefully it'll help you navigate it a little yeah. bit better. And to those of you who are helping someone, hopefully it'll help you navigate and understand, you know, more effective ways to offer support. So before we go, I have to ask you the big question. <laughs> And that big question is, what does selective hearing mean to you? Oh, selective hearing means to me that we are choosing to be unconscious in places where we need to be conscious. And if we would, instead of only selecting to hear what we agree with or what we think is right, would open our hearing to other ideas and other perspectives and try to learn from each other, we could create a better world. Amen to that. I agree so much. And that is the sole mission here. <laughs> Affecting change through conversations. Cause I feel like that is a starting point. Yeah. Let's talk we, about it. Yeah. We, we all want to be seen them. I yeah. agree. Yeah. So, um, Suzanne, let everyone know where they can find you so they can reach out, connect with you, have a conversation with you if they need some support. Yeah. The best place to find me is on my website, uh, which is a lived experience.com. And that's the easiest spot because you can one click to link to Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn or wherever it is you want to follow people and follow from there. That's the easiest. You don't have to try and fight the algorithms to find people. Um, and you can sign up for my newsletter if you want to know, you know, want have an ongoing relationship with what I'm learning, you know, what new things I've discovered or lived through. Um, any workshops that I have upcoming, there's ways to register there. And um, I've now I have now accumulated enough kind of freebies that I that I'll be adding a page. So probably by the time this gets published or gets released, you'll be able to click on the free resources page and find some ideas and suggestions for navigating and helping someone navigate. Okay. And all of that information for those of you who are emailing, <laughs> all of that information is on the podcast page on my website. All you have to do is click show details and the drop down bar will have links to social media and website. So all you have to do is just click. And as always, I tag, tag, tag. So it will be listed on my social media in all the reels and posts about this episode as well. And I have one more announcement before I go. Selective Hearing is now streaming on all major podcast 
um, platforms in addition to SelectiveHearingShow.com and we are on YouTube. So wherever you want to hear me speak or watch the videos with me and these beautiful guests, you can. So until next week, this is Selective Hearing. Thank you so much. Thank you.